Salvation Now podcast, where you'll discover and be equipped with keys from the Word of God that will pave the way to God's unlimited blessing in your life. Now, here's your host, Evangelist T.J. Malkanji. One thing that the body of Christ at large is ignorant on is the power of their confession, the power of your tongue, the power that words have in producing in your life. So if you can take a moment and share this podcast, this podcast, it's going to help people on your timeline and uh, people are going to get blessed. And, um, you know, the more people that are exposed to messages like this, the better, the better equipped they're going to be. When, in, when the enemy comes rushing in like a flood, they'll have a plan of action, a plan to counteract the attack of the devil and have victory in life. Remember, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 2 and 6, Now thanks be unto God who always leads us to triumph in all things by Christ Jesus. God has a plan for, to, for you to triumph in every area of life. There's not to be an area where you're weak as a believer whenever there's an area of weakness you can know that there's a deficit of your knowledge of the word of god in that area and so what do you do you build yourself up you equip yourself with keys so that you can better attack so that you can be uh on the defense so that you can have a stronger uh a a, a stronger fortitude in your spirit in those areas so that you're not falling victim to the devil. You are not called to be a victim in life. You have been called to be a victor because the greater one lives in you. I want to talk about the power of confession. I'm going to get right in it today because there's a lot to talk about. If there's one area, like I said before, where believers are very ignorant, it is in this area. People, they let their mouth loose. They talk about whatever comes into their mind. They have no filter and as such, they're suffering in areas that they don't need to suffer in another day in their life. But until, you remember the devil, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 10, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 11, sorry. The Bible says that we are not ignorant of the devil's vices, lest we should be taken advantage by him. We are taking advantage. The devil will take advantage of you if you have an area of ignorance. There is no mountain in any man's life. Every man's mountain is the mountain of his own ignorance. Every man's problem is a problem of ignorance. The moment light comes on the scene, the Bible says that light will drive out darkness. So there's things that you can pray about. There's things that you fast about. There's things that you petition God for. But then there's there is a responsibility that God has given us as believers to learn how to think right and to learn how to talk right. We have been given a responsibility to transform Romans chapter 12 verses 1 and 2. The Bible says we are to present our lives as living sacrifices to God and we are to be transformed by the renewing of our mind by the word of God so that we could begin to express the perfect the excellent and the the um, the perfect the good and the acceptable will of God that is in Christ Jesus so understand God's will is not always going to be fulfilled in your life if you let your 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 tongue loose Jesus Christ is the high priest of our confession Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 1 he's the high priest of our confession what was the high priest in charge of he was in charge of bringing the petitions the sacrifices of the people to God meaning if Jesus is the high priest of our confession he is charged to bring our confession to God and God 
God will act accordingly, whether good or bad. Your confession, whether it is good or bad, will uh, uh, greatly affect the life, the quality of life that you have, the victory and the triumph you have over the devil and uh, over problems and circumstances in life. That's why the Bible says that G Jesus said in Matthew 12, 37, beware of your confession because you will be either condemned or justified by the words that you speak. Jesus said a man will be condemned or justified by the words that he speaks. A man's words will either justify him, every, and it even says every idle word, meaning it's not just your intentional confession, it's the things that you speak of that you're not even aware you're talking about, talking that way. Some people don't even realize that they talk a certain way and it's producing a certain harvest and it's hurting them, but they're not aware that it's actually their confession. It's not that God's not intervening. It's not that the devil's too strong uh, and he's not backing off. It's that your confession is giving an open door of invitation for the devil to come in and mess things up. Your word is a seed. And that seed, as it is continuously sown on a daily basis, and your word is like, it's, it's, like, uh, it's, um, it's moisture. It's not just the seed, it's the moisture. A seed needs moisture to survive. When you sow a seed by speaking a certain thing, you then, as you continuously speak that thing, you're adding moisture to the ground for it to grow and develop and increase until you reap the harvest of that word, whether good or bad. That's why it's important to get on the frequency of God's word so that you learn how. That's why I'm going to go on and I'm going to give you seven confessions, seven declarations that you must begin to have on a daily basis or, or you'll never see victory. If you're speaking counter to these confessions, these declarations I'm about to give you, then you're going to, this isn't a rebuke to you. This isn't a, a broadcast to put you down. This is a broadcast to show you that you can actually change your world by changing your words. You can change. I want you to write that out in the comment section. I can change my world by changing my words. I can change my world by changing my words. And that is an unbreakable law of faith. Confession. The words that you speak. You know, the Bible says in Romans 10, you can't even get saved without the power of confession at work. It says that a man believes in his heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, but it doesn't say he's saved until confession is made unto salvation. So you want to talk about how powerful confession is. You, have, you couldn't even be saved without the power of confession at work in your life. The words that you speak will either make you or break you. How do we know that? I want to read James chapter 3. James chapter 3. Before, you know, modern science nowadays, they, uh, they've come to the understanding that when you speak a certain word, there's actually... Uh, neurons that are released from your brain throughout your body to react accordingly to the according to the words that you speak so if you're speaking thoughts or you're speaking words of weakness words of defeat words of sickness your brain is actually going to send out it's going to dispatch little warriors called neurons throughout your body 
to get your body ready for weakness, ready for sickness, ready for defeat, ready for sorrow. If you're always talking about what the news, what news is going on, the negativity of the news, the negativity of the world, your, your confession is always in line with bad reports. You're constantly exposing yourself to negative reports, bad news, heart-wrenching news, and then you start speaking. It's, you know, out of the abundance of the heart, your mouth is going to speak. So what you let into your heart is naturally what you're going to speak and let loose from your mouth. And as that happens, it, your, your body is going to get ready to act accordingly. So if you're speaking weakness, that's why Joel, the book of Joel says, let the weak say I'm strong. He's not saying let the weak say I'm strong when I feel strong. He's saying let the weak who feel weak begin to speak opposite to their weakness opposite to what they're seeing or what they're feeling and let them declare uh, words of strength words of power words of victory and when you do that modern science is now caught caught on to the bible what james what i'm about to read in james chapter 3 uh that when you do that it actually changes the way you feel you can you can determine the way you feel in the course of life if you wake up and you feel groggy, you don't have to stay groggy the whole day. You can actually change the way you feel by the power of your words. Proverbs 18.21. This isn't Anthony Robbins' show. This isn't uh, some motivational speaker's idea that I got. This is from the Bible. All those motivational speakers, they're actually utilizing Proverbs, the book of Proverbs and the wisdom in Proverbs to gain success in their own lives. These people teach proverbial wisdom to show people the way of success. So you have wicked heathen people that have adopted proverb, proverbial wisdom and as such they're gaining success from it while the body of Christ has neglected the so great salvation that is available to them by the wisdom of God by saying, you know, throwing it out with the, 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 the baby out with the bathwater by saying, oh, this must be name it, claim it. Oh, the, you know, they're talking about the power of words. That's just incantations. Oh, all that is just witchcraft. It's not witchcraft. God has the authentic. The devil tries to produce the counterfeit. But don't dismiss the, the authentic just because there's counterfeit. The fact that there is counterfeit, the fact that there, the devil's trying to, uh, to, to manipulate these uh, proverbial wisdom and keys to success in, in his servants... And they're making, you know, they're, they're, they're getting popularity because of it because people are drawn to that. Doesn't mean that God doesn't have the authentic outlet listed out in his word. The Bible says in Proverbs 18, 21, the Bible says death and life are in the power of your tongue. That's oftentimes misquoted. People say the power of life and death is in the tongue. The power of life and death. It's not the power of life and death. The Bible says it's death in life is in the power of your tongue. Meaning because you, remember, Genesis chapter 1. The Bible says that God in the beginning said, let there be light. He spoke light into the world. He spoke light. Uh, the, the creation into existence. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 3 that by faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. God framed the worlds that we see today by his word. Nothing was made today that we see the trees, the mountains, the sun, the sky, the, sky, the stars, 
the, the galaxy, everything was made by his word. He spoke the word and the word produced the wonders. And then Genesis 1.26 comes along and God says, I am going to make man in my very own image. And in the image of God, he created them. God had power in his tongue to produce life in, 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 uh, in our universe. The Bible says by the mouth, by the, by the breath of his mouth, the heavens were made. And by the word of his mouth, the host of heaven, meaning the angels, everything, whether thrones, dominions, principalities, and powers, all things were made by him, for him, through him, and to him. John chapter one in verse one, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And all things were made by that word. And without that word, nothing was made, was made that was made. So God, who had power in his words to produce things, then created you in his very own image. So that Proverbs 18.21 is giving us a revealed mystery that the same way God had power or had death and life in, his, in the power of his tongue, we created in his image have now death and life in the power of our tongue to release death on things we want dead in our life, the work of the devil, sorrow anxiety poverty lack anything that's listed out as a curse we have the power in our tongue to release death in those things and we also have power in our tongue to release life in the things we want to grow listen to me listen to this what i'm about to say this is very important the results you enjoy in life what you see around you today the harvest of what you have around you today came from the seed of words that you sowed yesterday. Show me a man. Let, let me spend one 24-hour period around you to hear your words on a daily basis. The way you talk, the way you run your mouth, and I'll tell you what your life is going to look like in like a year from now. Not because I'm some prophet. It's an irrefutable law of faith. It's the irrefutable law of seed, time, and harvest. Genesis chapter 6. And remember, Jesus said the word of God is a seed. So you can either choose to sow the seed of the word of men and reap the harvest that men are, are reaping, which is, it fluctuates. You know, there's uh, heathen people. They have good days, they have bad days. Why? Because they spoke good things on certain days and bad things on other, other days. I'm not trying to get you to feel superstitious and just be like, man, you know, I, I, I really shouldn't talk ever again lest I speak something negative. No, that's not what I'm, this broadcast is for. This broadcast is to show you that when you do run, when you have a bad day and then you don't put a hand to your mouth to cover your mouth and you start just sowing seeds of negativity god is not mocked galatians chapter 6 whatsoever a man sows that shall he reap whether good or bad listen to this james chapter 3 my brethren let's start with um verse 2 for we all stumble in many ways and if anyone does not stumble in word he's a perfect man if you're just joining me now you'd encourage me if you'd share the broadcast and if you share it often share it as many times as you want and let's get this word out to as many people as possible. If any man does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body. Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us. And we turn their whole body. Look also at the ships, 
Although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts of great things. See how great a forest a little fire is kindled by. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. And the tongue is so set among our bodies that it actually has the power to defile our whole body. It sets on fire the course of nature, meaning the course of your life. It, whatever your words are, that's what your life will be lined up with. Your words, is, your mouth is a production plant that will produce the harvest you see in front of you. Whatever's produced in here is what will manifest out there. The Bible says your tongue is a little member, but it sets on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, a reptile of creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by men. But no man has been able to tame the, the tongue. That's why the baptism in the Holy Ghost is so important. Because the Bible says man can't tame the tongue. You can't try to speak better. You can't hope to speak better. You can't try and train yourself to speak better. You need the power of the Holy Ghost, the spirit of faith to alter fundamentally within you the thoughts that you think so that the words that you speak are changed and modified. It's the power of the Holy Ghost. Paul said we're not to be strong in our own selves. We're not trying to just live better. You know, I'm just, you know, I'm just going to try and speak better. You'll fail. It has to be by the power of his might if it's going to succeed. That's why Zechariah 4, 6 says, it's not by might, it's not by strength, it's by my spirit, says the Lord. Numbers chapter 13, the scripture says that Moses dispatches 12 servants to go and spy out the land of Canaan. They all returned. They all saw the same land. They all saw land flowing with milk and honey. They all saw giants in the land. They all saw the obstacles and they all saw the rewards if they would pass, uh, pass by those obstacles, overcome those obstacles. But the Bible says 10 men reported an evil report of unbelief. They came back and they confessed what they saw. They spoke according to what their natural eyes uh, perceived. They had no, they did not give any credence to what God's word had already spoken to them. That if you go, no man will be able to stand before you. And if you go wherever I send you to go, all those nations, I will cause you, I'll empower you to overcome them. So they had the word of God. They had the prophetic word. They had the, what Moses had conveyed to them as he, as he dwelt on the mountain for 40 days and came back and gave them that great word of victory. That if you'll walk before me and be blameless, no man will be able to stand before you. All those, all those armies, all those nations, they'll be bread for you to eat. But they saw things uh, through their natural lens, the natural sight, they allowed their five senses to take authority over the sixth sense that man has, which is faith in God's word. And as such, they spoke. The Bible says an evil report of unbelief. God doesn't just think when you, you, know, you start ranting off in unbelief that that's just, you know, that's, he doesn't just see that as just a bad report. He doesn't just see it as, uh, you know, Ultimately, that guy's not speaking faith right now. No, he sees it as an evil report of unbelief. 
It's evil in the sight of God. So what happened? They spoke that. Then two men called Joshua and Caleb get up. And they said, yes, there are giants in the land. So faith is not denying reality. I'm not teaching you to declare things because you're starting to see them in your life. No. We don't wait to see things line up with the word of God before we start speaking it. We speak the word and God goes to work and watches over his word to perform it. And then we start to see the wonders take place in our life. I'm not waiting for doors to open in this ministry before I start speaking. You know, that's why there's a lot of ministries. They start off and they never have doors open to them. Because, well, you know, it's tough in Canada. Not many people are having evangelists in right now. And, you know, they're hard, a hard, cold people to reach in the nation of Canada. And, you know, our generation, they don't really want to hear anything about the word of God today. And then they get up, they try and preach and convert people. They try and preach and get people saved. And it falls onto dead ears and dull hearts. Because they, by their own confession, have paved the way to failure in their own ministries. Instead, what do I say? Jesus, I know you hold the key of David. I know that you can open and no man can shut. I know that you can close doors that no man can open. And so I thank you that you're going before me as the good shepherd and opening up doors for this ministry. I thank you that doors are opening up all across the nations of this world. Thank you that this generation is not going to be dull hearted when I speak the word of God. That even if they've rejected from others, I thank you that I have an anointing to reach my generation and the door of faith is open in their hearts to sow the seed of salvation and the gospel of salvation. So I'll see, the, I'll see my generation saved. Why is it that now when I preach, I, don't have, I can't say I have a hard time seeing people saved. And it's not because I'm energetic or dynamic. It's because, first of all, I'm, I'm consecrated. Secondly, I'm anointed. Thirdly, I speak what God's told me to speak. What did Jeremiah hear from God? Did God say, hey, Jeremiah, go and speak to this people. And they're not going to hear you. So don't expect them to hear you. No. He said, Jeremiah, speak to the people. For I am with you to deliver them. And I have set you over the nations of the earth. And you have power in your tongue to uproot and to destroy, to plant and to deploy. And so Jeremiah went out. And, 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 and he had success. Maybe not immediately, but the success came. Because the ultimate deliverance from Babylon from the Babylonian captivity happened in Daniel's day when he read the scroll of the prophet Jeremiah and he understood that seven years have passed. And so Daniel made a demand on that word and then uh, it wasn't too long before Israel came out of the captivity of Babylon. So there were the two that began to speak. Yes, there are giants in the land. Yes, there's opposition. There's going to be giants in every man's promised land. No matter what God has promised to give you, no matter what the Bible tells you, there's always going to be a thief that tries to rise and steal, kill, and destroy. There's always going to be opposition. Jesus said very clearly in John 16, 33, in this world, you're going to have challenge. You're going to have opposition, but take heart for I've overcome the world and deprived it from any ability to hurt you or harm you. You move on to First uh, Timothy chapter 6 and verse 12. The Bible says you are to fight the good fight of faith. Why does the Bible say we have to fight? We don't fight unless there's something to fight. We're not fighting invisible enemies. No, there's something to fight. There are giants in every man's promised land. 
The devil's not just going to let you walk into your healing. The devil's not just going to let you march into that, to that breakthrough. The devil's going to see to it that he tries to keep you and hinder you from having God's best on you. But we have to fight the good fight of faith. What's the fight of faith? It's not fighting other people in doctrine. It's not battling other Christians over what you think is true and not. It's not going against our brethren and having strife and division in the church. That's not the fight of faith. The fight of faith is our responsibility that in the face of giants, in the face of opposition, in the face of the devil riling and trying to do everything to intimidate you and squash your confidence, there is another spirit in you that keeps on saying, no, I know my God's going to make a way where there is no way. I know my God is a way maker, a promise keeper, a light in the darkness. I know that if God said it, I have it. That settles it. I know that he watches over his word to perform it and there's no devil that can take away what God's already delivered to me I'm blessed I'm redeemed from the curse I'm not a I'm not set and lined up for cursings I'm set and lined up for victory for glory for strength for 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 breakthrough everywhere I go that's the fight of faith it's being able to, in the midst, in the midst of opposition, in the midst of a king that's telling you, if you don't confess differently, I'm going to throw you in a fiery furnace. You're like Shadrach. Hallelujah. You're like Meshach and Abednego. Hey, king, it's easy for us to answer back in this matter. Even if you still heat that furnace seven times hotter, we will never bow to you because our allegiance is to the word of God. It doesn't matter if you make it hotter. It doesn't matter if the mountain grows bigger. It doesn't matter what the devil tries to do on the exterior to intimidate you and crush your confidence. We will never bow for our God whom we serve he is able. He's not just willing. He's able to do far more abundantly all that we can ask, think, or imagine. And what happened when they spoke like that? Were they burnt? When they began to say, because confession, the power of confession, what is confession? Confession is saying what God has already said. Confession is repeating God. God didn't say, hallelujah, Isaiah 43. God didn't say when you pass through the waters, you're going to drown. God didn't say when you pass through the rivers, they're going to overflow you and you're going to have it hard. God didn't say when you go through the fires, it's going to burn you and you're going to get scorched and you're going to think twice the next time you start to stand up to kings. No, he said, hallelujah. I've called you by name. I have redeemed you. You are my people. I've loved you and I've set my gaze on you. Therefore, hallelujah. When you walk through the fires, you ain't going to get burnt. Neither shall you smell like smoke. When you go through the waters, you're not going to get drowned out you're not gonna suffer no he'll send from above he'll take you out of many waters he'll take you up out of the horrible pit of destruction he'll take you up out of the flooding waters that you're just trying to keep up your head over waters just to survive God doesn't want you just to keep your head over waters to survive he said I'll be with you in the waters and I'll deliver you from the waters that have been sent to drown you and I'll set you on my rock to stay when you go through the rivers they won't overflow you because I am with you and if God is for us, what can come against us? Romans 8, 30, 38. Romans 8, 37. The Bible says that yes, there are trials in life. Yes, there are tribulation in life. Yes, there are things that the enemy tries to mess up. He even says there's angels, there's depths. There's all kinds of things that uh, demons that might come against you. 
But the Bible says in all these things, we are more than conquerors. The body of Christ for too long has acted like more than losers. When the Bible says your position should be that of more than a conqueror. I'm not on the losing side. Jesus didn't stay dead. Stop living like he stayed dead. Stop talking like he stayed dead. Stop talking like he's still in that tomb. He rose from the dead. Mary and Mary came to the tomb on that third day and they stooped down in. They looked in. And they saw a, a, a folded cloth at his head, and the rest was just uh, his other the cloth that covered his body was just hanging there. And they began to weep, thinking that someone stole the body. And an angel appeared to them and said, "Hey, why are you weeping? Why are you sad? Why are you? Why has sorrow filled your heart? This Jesus, Hallelujah! I don't preach another Jesus. I'm preaching this Jesus, the Jesus that death couldn't hold him down, the Jesus that Satan himself tried to put a, a, a stone on that tomb so he wouldn't come." out this Jesus that the devil even steered up the Roman soldiers to station a guard around that tomb to prevent him from coming out nothing could stop his resurrection and nothing can stop when God said to that stone to roll away there wasn't anything the Roman seal couldn't keep it contained when Jesus when God said move that thing moved and Christ rose from the dead and the Bible says he ascended on high and he has now the keys of death hell in the grave and he he said behold if you'll live if you'll believe on me if you'll put your faith in me if you'll walk in line with my word if you'll begin to speak what I've told you to speak then the dry bones around you they don't have to stay dead that sickness in your body doesn't have to remain you have power and authority the power of death and life is in your tongue so that you can live as more than a conqueror through all these things I'm not destined for the bottom I'm destined for the top I'm not scraping the bottom of the barrel. I'm the cream of the crop. Because he said, if you'll diligently hearken unto my voice, Deuteronomy 28.1, I will bless you. Hallelujah. All these blessings shall come on you. Blessed shall you be in the city. Blessed shall you be in the country. Blessed shall be your needing bowl. Blessed shall you be when you come in and blessed shall you be when you go out. Well, if the Bible says that I'm blessed everywhere I go, why am I talking about curses? Why am I talking about defeat? Why am I talking about struggle? The Bible doesn't say Jesus hung on that cross and said the struggle is real. He hung on that cross and said the struggle is over. Stop talking struggle. Start to magnify Christ by speaking words of victory in line with his word. James said it. If you sow seeds of sick, if you keep speaking sickness, you will magnetize sickness. If you keep talking defeat, you will, you will gravitate defeat towards you. If you keep talking about the devil this, the devil that, devil's in this, devil's in that. If you see devils everywhere, you'll have devils everywhere. everywhere. The only curse the devil's able to put on a born-again, Holy Ghost, blood-bought, blood-redeemed believer is the curse you let him put on you by the words that you speak. By the words that you speak. James said, your tongue is like the rudder of a ship. Wherever, wherever the pilot directs it to go, that's the direction the ship goes. Even in great storms, if a pilot navigates out of the storm, he doesn't have to stay in that storm. People think that the storm, if you think the storm you're going through is something God has called you to, you're going to stay in that storm until it wipes you out. 
The only storm God ever sent in, in scripture was in Jonah's day. And it was because of his disobedience. And the moment he got back on, on track, the storm subsided. The other two storms were demons and, uh, and natural. And out of those two storms, remember in Acts chapter 27, Paul, he didn't stay in the storm. The storm subsided and he ended up getting to the other side. And then Jesus in Mark 4 with his disciples, they got to the other side of, the, of where Jesus told them to go. So you can see very clearly. If you think that the storm you're going through right now is something God's called you to, you're going to stay in that storm. You're going to talk storm vocabulary and you're going to attract further storm. The storm's going to intensify and you'll never see freedom. But if you'll identify, my portion as a believer is not storms and thistles and thorns and, and destruction. My portion as a believer, the Bible says, the path of the just shines brighter and brighter unto that perfect day. The Bible says, I was poor and afflicted, but your salvational God has lifted me up on high. Hallelujah. The words that God pays attention to the words that you speak, and they signify, they show him whether you value his salvation or whether you have no clue what his salvation did for you. His salvation has set you up on high. His salvation has made you to be the head always and never the tail. His salvation has, the Bible says, you were dead in your sins. You were dead in the trespasses of your sins. But now hath he made you alive together in Christ Jesus, and he has raised you up to be seated in him. Hallelujah. Start to talk as a victor. Start to talk as one whom God has made a king and a priest to reign on the earth. Romans chapter 5 verse 17. That through Adam's sin, death reigned through us all. But now through Christ's obedience, now because of Christ, what he's accomplished at that cross, we now have received the gift of salvation and abundance of grace in life so we can reign in life. I'm destined to reign over the things that used to reign over us. Remember this, Romans 6 says, Romans 6 says sin shall no longer have dominion over you. Well, sin is the cause of tragedy. Sin is the cause of sickness. Sin is the cause of poverty. Sin is the cause of tr trouble and, and whatever you're facing today. Sin, the fallen nature, the fallen world has brought all these things on people, common people. And unless you, your eyes are open to behold the covenant of God, you're going to live like everyone else is living, subject to the law of sin and death. But the scripture says that the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set us free from the laws of sin and death. So we're no longer subject. Sin no longer has dominion over me. And that means everything that came with sin no longer has dominion over me. Sickness no longer has dominion over me. Struggle no longer has dominion over me. Defeat, um, uh, poverty, lack no longer has dominion over me because I am now seated far above those things and they no longer have access to my life. So why would I continue to vocalize and give influence to those things in my life by the words that I speak? And I'm going to tell you this. This is important. The words that you speak are directly reflective to what you have hidden in your heart. That's why David said, I have hidden his word in my heart that I would not sin against him. That's why David said in Psalm 1, let me read this. Psalm 1, verses 1 through 3. Listen to this. 
This is, a, this is David's words. David, a man after God's own heart. David, the one who never lost a battle. David, the one who took Goliath's head off with ease. These were the words that he spoke. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. So if you're going <laughs> to... If you're going to change the way you speak, you you have to first and foremost be careful with the counsel that you're letting in your heart, the people you associate with, the environment you set up around you, the atmosphere you have at home, and not just with people's physical presence, but what do you let on your screen? If you have CNN pumping in your house 23 hours a day, 24 hours a day, even while you're sleeping, and then wonder why there's complete chaos in your life, you are in a snare that you'll never break free from unless you change that. You're a product of your environment. That is, that is a, you know, he that walks with the wise shall himself be wise, but the companion of fools will be destroyed. The Bible says how blessed, the blessing won't come if you surround yourself with the counsel of the ungodly. Stop getting advice from people who aren't even saved. There are more than enough wise, Holy Ghost Christians that for you to go after people who don't know God and are giving you perhaps some wise advice, but within it, there's an infiltration of satanic worldly wisdom. And as such, it's perverted, it's distorted, and it won't produce the fruit you want. How blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly? So step one, you want to change your confession? You got to change your company. You got to change your company before you can change your confession. Because you, your your words will be the product of the words you constantly are exposed to in your immediate environment. David, when he was about to slaughter Goliath, the Bible says his own brothers came to him and said, you're, you're just, you just always want to see blood. There's a bloodthirsty kid. Why don't you go back to those few sheep that you, ha, you, had ten, you were tending to? If David had surrounded himself with them and not ignored them and went on to someone else to ask the question elsewhere, he would have gotten discouraged and he would have never defeated Goliath and we would not be reading about King David to this day. And they wouldn't be flying the star of David over the nation of Israel. Instead, what did he do? I didn't ask for your advice. And he went on to someone else. What, what's the reward if I take this guy's head off? Well, here are the rewards. He said that's worth it. He goes and great, great victory won that day. Even Saul, a king, who in the natural it looked like this guy had everything in order. He's the king of a nation, for goodness sake. And Saul says, why don't you take my armor? This guy's been a warrior from his youth. And he tried to lead him in his own ungodly counsel. When God had already told David, I've anointed you, I have the spirit of might on you, I've given you that little stone and that little sling, and with it you shall do signs and wonders. You don't need extra assistance, you don't need external sources and alternative sources, you have everything in you. Had he listened to Saul's advice, we wouldn't be reading about David to this day. How blessed is a man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor does he stand in the path of sinners. Meaning he didn't go where sinners went. I'm not saying you shouldn't hang around sinners. You should make it a point to have some time where you're around sinners or else how are you going to get people saved? You need to see sinners if you're going to see sinners saved. But what he's saying is he doesn't stand in the path. He passes through, passes through, heralds and proclaims the gospel of salvation like we do crusades, but he doesn't stand, he doesn't pitch his tent there. 
Then doesn't, he doesn't sit in the seat of the scornful. Doesn't get around mockers. Doesn't get around people that mock the power of God. You, you get around people that mock the power of God. You'll, very soon you'll be joining their ranks in mocking God's power. You get around people that talk about the day of miracles is gone. God doesn't heal anymore. Very soon your confession is going to change. That's why you have to set a firm watch over the words you allow into your heart. Guard your heart above everything else for out of it flows the issues of life. The issues of life will continue to flow until you've put a stop on, what you, on the things that are causing those issues to flow by uh, the things that you're letting into your heart that are causing those issues to flow. Now listen to this. So it doesn't just stop there. That's where a lot of people stop. Oh, I, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna listen to ungodly counsel anymore. I'm not gonna get around people who don't know what they're talking about anymore. I'm not gonna listen to CNN, and then I'm just not gonna listen to anything. No, he goes on to say, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. Your brain is. It needs something to process. It needs something. So you're either gonna expose yourself to ungodly counsel, and you're gonna process that. But if you don't expose yourself. To anything, your, your brain's going to come up with its own thing, which is leagued in, and it's, also, it's ungodly if it's your own thing. There's a way that seems right unto men, but its end is the way of death. But listen to this. My delight is in the law of the Lord. So yes, we guard ourselves against uh, foreign confessions, ungodly, unscriptural confessions, but then we have to store up in our heart. David said, I have hidden his word in my heart. So that I wouldn't sin against him in word and in deed. His law, I meditate day and night. Then I'm like a tree planted by rivers of water and I bring forth fruit in, in my season. Whose leaves will never wither and whatever I do will prosper. Going back to those two, those two men in Numbers 13. When they said, we've seen the obstacle, we've seen the giants. They didn't stop there. They began to declare the word of the Lord. But we know that our God is on our side. And they will be bread for us to eat as a result. What happened? The other 10 that confessed an evil report of unbelief, they never got into the promised land. But Joshua and Caleb, who declared the word of the Lord in the face of the obstacles, they got to see the fruit of their confession. They entered into the promised land. And the Bible says that God noted them as those who had a different spirit. Another spirit was in Joshua and Caleb. I'm praying today, as you're listening to me right now, there will be another spirit, a spirit called faith, that would rise up in your own heart to, in the face of obstacles, declare ye the word of the Lord. That while men are saying there's a casting down, something will rise up in you that says, no, there's promotion coming. When people are saying things are going backwards, you're going to start saying, no, things are moving forward for me. That yes, I might live in this world, but the Bible Bible says, though a thousand fall to my side and ten thousand to my right hand, none of these evils shall come near me, no, nor evil shall befall me, nor shall plague come near my tent. I've made the Lord my dwelling place. As such, I'm going to feast. I'm going to taste. I'm going to see the goodness of the Lord while I'm yet in the land of the living. If the greater one lives in me, then I'm greater and stronger than the lesser ones that are in this world. I'm not going backwards. I'm going from glory to glory. He that began a good work in me he shall complete it to that day of Jesus Christ 
in the name of Jesus Christ. If you believe that, just put amen, hallelujah, hands up emoji, and let the Lord know you're interested in that today. I want to tell you, go through very quickly, seven declarations you must make on a daily basis. Seven things that if you change the words you speak to line up with these words, you will change the world around you. Remember, by faith, God, through his words, framed the world. In the same vein, by faith, as we declare these words, as we confess, say what God said. And we, the Bible says we waver not in our confession. That's another thing. There's too many double-minded Christians. I pray that's none of you today. That you're going to, you know, because I, I have it a lot. You people that hear a broadcast like this, or they listen to a preaching like this. They're in a service where faith's being preached. And like for two days, they start to change their words. And then all of a sudden, they go back. And they have a double tongue, a split tongue. Why do you think a snake has a split tongue? It says two different things, and that's demonic. In the same vein, there are Christians who have a split tongue. Out of one side of their tongue, they're speaking blessing. And then out of the other side of their tongue, they're speaking, cur- they're speaking the, the, devil's, the devil's work. And so they're trying to drink from a clean fountain. But really, they have salt water and fresh water coming out of the same faucet. And as such, they've polluted. They've polluted their own well. The Bible says very clearly, how can you speak blessing and cursing out of the same mouth? And then in Psalms it says, because you delighted in cursing, it will come to you. But if you delight in blessing, it will come to you as well. Because you delighted in cursing, it'll come to you. Because you chose not the blessing, it'll be far from you. You choose blessing by speaking blessing. In the same vein, you choose cursing by speaking cursing. So here are seven confessions that you must make on a daily basis. Seven things that you can speak over yourself, over your family, over your children, over your business. And it'll greatly alter the course of your life. Because remember what I said before. Like the, uh, the rudder of a ship, wherever the pilot desires... That means you have, uh, you have the power to direct your life in the direction you want it to go in. And just staying frustrated about the direction you're taking in life, just staying frustrated with the results you're seeing around you, just staying frustrated about the challenge ahead of you is not going to do anything about it. There's a lot of Christians that are frustrated with what they're seeing. There's a lot of Christians that are frustrated with the sickness that doesn't seem to go. Just being frustrated does not qualify you for breakthrough. It does not make you a candidate for breakthrough. Your frustration has to move you to a point of action. Jesus tempted in the wilderness. The devil came and threw everything he had at Jesus. If you're the son of God, command that these stones become bread. If you're the son of God, cast yourself off. How did Jesus deal with the devil? Did he just get frustrated? Man, I can't believe I'm doing everything right. And here's the devil trying to rile things up in my life. Here's the devil trying to, uh, trying to get a foothold in my life. I, man, I really didn't expect that to happen. Well, I guess, you know, we're not called to victory. We're just called to be faithful. Did Jesus act like that? No. The Bible says he replied to the devil. 
Devil, it is written. He began to confess what the word of God said about him. Man shall not live by bread alone, but according to everything that is spoken in the word of God. Jesus, do you think Jesus was just anointed because he was the son of God and that's it? He was anointed because he was the son of God. He was anointed because he had the Holy Ghost. But he, had, he was anointed because he was the word made flesh. And the word is spirit and life. Listen to this. This is Jesus speaking in Luke 24, 44. Replying to his disciples. He says this. These are the words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. That all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. Jesus knew from the word what concerned him. That's why when the enemy came in that wilderness and wanted to circumvent him, wanted to throw him off the rails, wanted to distract him, wanted to get him off the track that God had him on, Jesus was able to reply by the word because he knew his position in life via the word. The Bible says in the volume of your book, it is written of me to do thy will. Hebrews chapter 1, in the, uh, Hebrews chapter 10. He, in the volume of your book, it is written of me to do your will. So in the, in the scriptures is written everything concerning you. The promises of God are prophetic in your life. They are prophetic scriptures. How do we know that? Second Peter chapter 1 says we have the prophetic word made sure. Referring to the scriptures. So the word is the prophetic word. But a prophecy just sitting on your counter, a prophecy just sitting in the back of your car that you haven't even picked up in three weeks, the, a prophecy that just sits collecting dust on your armoires isn't going to be made sure or, 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 or um, shine in your life if it just sits. We have the prophetic word made sure as we speak it, as we declare it, as we confess it. Our the word and the promises of God are voice activated. They aren't just automatically fulfilled. If that were the case, Jesus would have never said in Mark eleven twenty three, if you have the faith of God, you will say to this mountain. So he's, he said, if you have all the faith, this is where a lot of Christians get frustrated and confused because they say, man, I have all the faith in the world. Man, I, I really believe. Man, I really am confident that God's going to do this. I, I, I have all this faith in my heart. Faith in the heart will do you nothing. You can have all the faith in the heart, but if it is not turned loose and voice activated by the words you speak, it'll just be faith in the heart. Faith in the heart will give you peace in your heart and that's it. But it won't change anything around you. Jesus said, if you have faith in your heart, you will say. So the evidence of faith in the heart is gonna be an open mouth. If you have a closed mouth, you have no faith and a closed destiny. But if you open your mouth, Psalm 81.10, open your mouth, God said, and I will fill it. And I'll show you great and mighty things. Open your mouth and I'll fill it and I'll subdue your enemies. Open your mouth and I will fill it and I'll feed you with the finest wheat and with oil from the rock I'll satisfy you. Open your mouth. Look at Psalm 91. Everybody loves to talk about Psalm 91. You know, I'm protected because Psalm 91. Well, what was the key of Psalm 91? It wasn't just he knew how to, he knew how to quote it. It wasn't just he had read Psalm 91 and so he had Psalm 91 hidden and right in his heart. No, David said in Psalm 91, 
I will say of my God. He didn't just have a belief of who God was. He said, my belief has caused my mouth to say of my God, he is my rock, he is my refuge, he is my fortress, he is my dwelling place, he is the shelter of my life, he is the one who, who surrounds me with angels, who guard me up and lay me up lest I dash my foot against a stone. He is the one who covers my head in the day of battle. He is my shield and my bulwark. His promises are my shield that block me and quench every fiery dart of the devil. Psalm 91 is, is a declaration that David made of who God was. There's a lot of people who know a lot about God, but they don't, they don't use their mouth. To release the power of God in their situation to turn things in their favor. Ezekiel was full of dry bones. What did God say? Ezekiel, watch these dry bones live again. And he clapped his hands. And No. God told Ezekiel, there are dry bones around you. But prophesy as I command you and give you the words to prophesy and see what will happen for you. And as I prophesied as I was commanded the dry bones began to rattle. And Ezekiel didn't stop there. He kept prophesying until there... See, that's where people miss it. They start speaking good, and they see things start to turn a little bit in their favor, but then they, because they see a little success, they immediately back down on confession, and they get lazy with their confession, and then things go bad again. Ezekiel kept prophesying until there stood before him an exceedingly strong army. Moses was sent before Pharaoh and God said, I'm going to make you a God to Pharaoh. That's what he told Moses. And Aaron, thy brother, will be thy prophet. And he said, go and tell Pharaoh the words that I command you to speak. He said, let my people go. Did Pharaoh let the people go on day one? No. Pharaoh, did he let, it, let them go on day two? No. Who knows how long it was? Took him 10 plagues before he finally let him go. But Moses did not stop speaking until he started to see the manifestation of what he was believing. We're not to be, we do not waver in our confession. I'm not a double tongue, split tongue believer. I'm not up in my confession one day and down based on the way I feel. My confession is not dictated by how I feel. My confession is steadfast because God's word is steadfast. That's the beauty of the written word. The written word. It doesn't matter what you feel. The written word, the Bible says, is forever settled in the heavens. It does not change. God said, my covenant I will not break. Neither will I alter the words that proceed out of my mouth. And not only that, God's not just some God who gave us this book of promises to get our hopes up, but ultimately he has no ability or integrity to uphold those promises. He's not just good in his promise. He is good in affecting, in bringing to pass, in fulfilling all that his mouth has spoken. His right hand is ready and willing to perform. That's why we can be confident in our confession because we don't serve a God who's wishy-washy. We don't serve a God who's up today, gone tomorrow. We don't serve a God who is unreliable. He is a God who said, the heavens will fade. The earth will pass away. But my word is never going to pass away. That's why if you line up your word with his word, you can never be wrong. You can never go wrong quoting God. You could never go wrong quoting God. You could never, I want you to write that out in the comment section. I can never go wrong quoting God. Let me give you, before I, 
Let me read one more scripture and then I'm going to give you the seven declarations you must make daily. John 1.19. Now this is the testimony. So why is it important that we do the, we confess this over our own selves? Listen to this. The testimony of John, when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed and did not deny, I am not the Christ. John the Baptist said, I'm not the Messiah. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? Are you a prophet? Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. They said to him, then who are you? That we may give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And John said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. They were asking him, who are you? What you say about yourself is extremely important with, the, uh, with what you experience in life. Who are you? Most people don't know how to answer that question from the scriptures. Most people identify with their Adamic nature when they ask that question. Well, how many of you know we're all, we're all just human? Who are you? In redemption, you're not human anymore. The Bible says we've been joined together with his spirit. And Christ now lives in us. The power of God lives in us. We're, we're a new creature, 2 Corinthians 5.17. Most people don't know how to answer that question of who are you? What do you say about yourself? What you say about yourself on a continual basis will shape what life hands you. So I want to give you very quickly seven confessions you must make daily over yourself. Number one, I am a citizen of heaven. Are you still identifying yourself as a citizen of earth? Are you still identifying yourself as one who dwells in a fallen world so we can never expect what comes our way? If you are, you'll experience, your experience will be no, no different from unbelievers. The Bible says, he that wanders from the way of understanding will rest in the assembly of the dead. Meaning, if you don't understand that you've been delivered from the powers of this world, delivered from this present wicked age, Galatians chapter 1, we have been delivered from this present wicked age according to the will of God our Father. Colossians 1.13 says, we have been delivered from the power of darkness and into the power of God's kingdom. I'm not of this world. I have been bought from above. I've been born from above. My citizenship, Philippians 3.20, is heavenly. If you don't understand that, you won't get what heaven has to offer. Because remember, every citizen gets the benefits and the rights and privileges of the nation that it belongs to. If you're a citizen of Canada, you'll... You'll enjoy the benefits and privileges of Canada's healthcare system, Canada's education system, Canada's uh, financial system. If you're a citizen of the United States, likewise, if you're a citizen in Iran or another part of the world, you have different rights, different privileges that are allotted to you. If you claim to be a citizen of this world, you'll be subject to the reign of terror that the devil has over its own citizens. Remember, the Bible says the devil is the God of this earth. 2 Corinthians 4.4 4. The God of this cosmos. The God of this worldly system. If you keep identifying yourself as one who is subject to the worldly system, as one who is still bound to the worldly system, you're going you're to suffer at, under the reign and rule and governing tactics of the devil. Suppressed, crushed, broken. 
oppressed and you'll have nothing, you won't be able to do anything about it. The Bible says we have what? Been delivered from the house of bondage. Remember, Egypt was a type of this world. Canaan is not a type of heaven. Canaan is a type of living in the blessing of God here on this earth. If Canaan was a type of heaven, there wouldn't have been giants there. There's no giants in heaven. Canaan's not a type of heaven. Canaan was a type of us coming up out of Egypt and into the promises of God on this earth. We won't need healing in heaven. We won't need deliverance in heaven. We'll have been totally delivered and we'll have new bodies. So Canaan is a symbol of living, of, of, uh, of obtaining, of living in the promises of God, defeating the challenges that are, that are trying to prevent us from accessing God's very own best on the earth here and now. So what does Egypt represent? Egypt is the worldly system. The Bible says he brought them out of the house of bondage and he brought them into the house of freedom. So if you still identify yourself as a citizen of this earth, then you'll be subject to its bondage and uh, you'll suffer as a result. But it, start today to declare, I'm a citizen from heaven. I'm born again. I mean, there's so much loaded into that word. I'm born again. I was born the first time in sin. I was born the first time by the will of the flesh, by blood. But the Bible says that now, not by the will of the blood, not by the will of the flesh, but by the will of God himself, I have been born unto a lively hope. I am a royal priesthood now, a chosen generation, God's very own possession here on earth. And as such, not only, not only am I no longer subject to the bondage of the enemy, I have dominion over the things that used to hold me down, and I have an anointing to set other people free. Number one, I'm a citizen of heaven. As a citizen of heaven, you also get to enjoy diplomatic immunity. What's diplomatic immunity? An ambassador. Remember, you're an ambassador of heaven. 2 Corinthians 5, verses 16 through 21. You are an ambassador from heaven. So you're not just a citizen, you're an ambassador. An ambassador, when it's in a different nation, does not feed off the resources of the nation that it is in. So people that say, well, we live in a fallen world or we live in a fallen system and you know, we're, we're limited by that fallen world. I'm an ambassador. I enjoy unlimited resources from the nation that I represent, which is heaven. Remember, Jesus said, I represent, I am the kingdom of God that is taking over here on the earth. We don't belong to a kingdom that's just in small little, a little small section in a corner of the earth and we're trying to keep to ourselves lest the devil uh, become aware of our existence. We belong to a kingdom that is taking over inch by inch, square foot by square foot, square mile by square mile. A kingdom that has been called to occupy until its master returns and give us our, our, ultimate, our ultimate victory. So an ambassador of that kingdom, an, the ambassador of the United States in Malawi, the house that an ambassador lives in is not determined by the economic resources of Malawi. The house that that ambassador lives in is evidently backed by the resources of, 
of the United States of America because of, because of how, how nice it is, how modern it might look. It has functioning toilet, you know, like whatever. It, it, it's a mansion. It's probably the biggest, you know, the biggest institution in that, in that region. I'm not saying Malawi, you know, I know, I, I, I'm under the understanding. I, I know that, you know, African nations are not impoverished nations most of the time. There are some, but most of them are first world countries. Ghana is a first world country. Nigeria is, is, a, is a, if you go to Nigeria, you'll be greatly surprised. It's not an impoverished nation. So people have this perspective that like Africa is just some like dump. It's not. It's actually a very beautiful nation. And there are places that it is very rich. But even in the impoverished areas around the world, that if an ambassador from the United States is sent, it has, even if there's no limousines in that nation, that ambassador is riding in a limousine. Why? Because he's backed by the resources of his nation. So number one, I'm a citizen of heaven. Number two, I am righteous even as Christ is righteous. This is important. I am righteous even as Christ is righteous. 1 John 3, 7. This, this will scare, this will like, if you have any religion in you, this will, I can't believe he said that. 1 John 3, 7. Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous even as he is righteous. Even as Christ is righteous. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, He made, God made Jesus who knew no sin to become sin so that we can become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You are not a sinner saved by grace and are still a sinner. We're, how many of you know we're just sinners in this sinful world? I was a sinner. I've been saved by grace. I am now the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Christ's righteousness, Christ's holiness lives, has been imputed to me and lives in and through me. The Bible says that Job, under, a, under a, a, a far less covenant, was a man who pleased God. If Job, who the Bible says eschewed evil and did what was right and was declared righteous in God's eyes, who did not have Christ's imputed righteousness in him, if he was declared by faith, it was or accounted him to be righteous. How much more shall we now, who are who have been imputed the righteousness of Christ? Psalm thirty-two. How blessed is the man whose sin is forgiven, whose transgressions have been done away with. How blessed is the man whose uh, in whose spirit there is no deceit, and there is no guile. In whose spirit there is no sin. You can't see yourself as some sinful, wretched human being any longer. Now that Christ lives in you, His perfection, His holiness, His righteousness, that's what I identify with. I don't identify with, my, with the Adamic nature. It is no longer I, I who lives. I've been crucified to that nature. That nature, those passions, those lusts, those appetites of the flesh have been crucified to me. I am now righteous as Christ is righteous. Because you have people that live in condemnation the rest of their life. They're born again. They're bought by the blood. They're redeemed. But because they've bought into this stupid religious mindset. How many of you know we sin every day? We're, you know, ultimately, you know, we're, 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 we're just wretched, 
We're just wretched human beings just trying to get by. We're, gone. We're just traveling on barely getting along street. There is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. So if God does not condemn me, remember John chapter 8, I believe it is, they brought to Jesus a woman who was caught in the very act of adultery. She was probably naked and brought before Jesus. Hadn't even had time to, to clothe her. Remember this, religion comes with stones. Jesus came with mercy and grace. And what happened? He that is without sin, let him cast the first stone. There are some churches that on Sunday, the preacher feels like a responsibility to just bash people down for how wrong they've been. Our job as ministers is not to add a burden. It's to take off the load of the burdens of sin. Now, if you know me and you follow me for any amount of time, I'm not a hyper-grace preacher in the sense that, you know, God has forgiven your past, present, and future sins. Doesn't matter what you've done. You're, just, you're, you're always going to be right in the sight of God. No, but I am saying... If you have repented, the Bible says, repent and be ye converted, that your sins would be blotted out. Jesus didn't just cover my sin so that someone can come and uncover it. Jesus blotted it out. As far as the east is from the west, so is my sin blotted from his sight. Isaiah 43, the Bible says, he hath blotted out our transgressions and our sins for his name's sake and our sins and, and lawless deeds. He remembers no more. He made a covenant with us saying, I'm going to give you a new slate. Colossians 1 says, I'm going to take the certificate of debt, the debt of sin that was against you. I'm going to take it, nail it to the cross. My sins have been nailed to that tree. I now, my sin, my, my sickness, my, all the curse of the law, has transferred from me to that tree on Calvary. And righteousness, redemption, healing, health, and strength have transferred from that tree to me. And there's now no more condemnation that's in me because Jesus said, where are all your accusers to that woman caught in adultery? They're no longer here. They've all left one by one. None have stood to condemn you? Neither do I. The only one that could have picked up a rock to kill her was Jesus. Because he was the only one who was without sin, without spot, without blemish. He was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. He had the ability to pick up a, a stone and just let it loose. But instead he said, neither do I condemn you. If God doesn't condemn you, if the Lord no longer is accusing you, but you have thoughts of accusation in your mind for something you've stopped doing, but something you've done in the past... Forget those things that are behind. It's the devil's tactic to get you bound to your past so you can never arrive at that glorious future. If the devil can get you to focus on the things of the past, on what you've done, on all the evil you've committed in your past, and get you to focus on it and, and feel victimized and feel the weight of the accusations he throws against you, you will never have strength to break free from the past horrors and move towards the glory that is ahead of you. You'll never, you know, Paul said, those things I forget which are behind. He said, this one thing I do, it was an intentional thing. Those thoughts 
are not just going to fade away. No, Lord, I'm taking authority over those thoughts of the past today. I cast them down. And today I'm reaching forward to the reward. I'm reaching forward to what God has ahead of me. I'm reaching forward to arrive at my glorious destiny in Jesus Christ. I am righteous. I'm not a sinner. That's not to say I don't make mistakes. That's not to say that I might not sin. I may very well sin. I, don't, I certainly go, don't go out trying to look for it and try to do it. No, absolutely not. But even if I do something and afterwards the Lord convicts me, I don't. <laughs> Listen to this. This is going to bless you. 1 John chapter 1. If you're just joining me now, welcome. If you could share the broadcast and help me out. Uh, this is going to set a lot of people free today. I really believe that. 1 John 1, 5. This is the message which we've heard from him and declared to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with God but walk in darkness, so if you're the type of person that says, well, no matter how much I sin, if I just keep on sinning, you know, I'll just ask God to forgive me later. This don't work for you. The grace of God is not an exemption card to keep on sinning. The grace of God is an empowering force that cleanses you from sin and empowers you to never sin again. To break free from sin. To not have sin reign in your mortal body so that you should obey it in its life, in its lust. So that you're no longer tied to the yoke of sin, but you're now presenting yourself and your body as a member of righteousness and a slave of God to perform righteousness. If we say we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie and don't practice the truth. But if we do walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Christ cleanses us from all sin. If you... Some people are so prideful, they think their sin was the one God won't forgive. Drop your pride. Your sin was no match for the blood of Jesus. Your sin was no challenge for that crimson flow that flowed from his veins. Your sin was no match for his nail-scarred hands and the blood that dripped from it. That the Bible says in 1 Peter 2.24, He hath by his own body delivered us from sin, that we might die to sin and live unto righteousness. He bore your sin in his body. He bore it. He took it. He took not only the sin, he took the guilt of that sin and he took the consequence and the penalties that came as a result of that sin. Quit listening to the devil's lies. The Bible says when he speaks, he speaks from his own nature. He's been a liar from the beginning. He's never changed. You really think you can ask God after everything you've done? Yes, I can because the blood prevails for me. You really think you have access to God's throne and you can just pray and he'll answer you, he'll hear you? If I had regarded iniquity in my heart, the Lord would have not heard me. But thanks be unto God, I've been cleansed from sin. I've been forgiven. I've been washed by his blood. I've been sanctified by the spirit and the sprinkling of the blood speaketh of better things than that of Abel's. And as such, I can draw near with a true assurance of faith knowing that there's not one sin separating me from a holy God. If we confess our sins, verse 9, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So if that's you today, maybe you're not, maybe you're not saved. Maybe you've never prayed a prayer uh, to ask the Lord into your heart to cleanse you from sin. Maybe you've never asked Jesus to, to save you, to redeem you, 
Maybe you've never repented of sin. Pray right now. Father, say this with me. Say, Father, in Jesus' name. And maybe, it's, maybe you are someone who've done it. You've done that. But you fell back into sin. You fell back into your vomit. You fell back into your old ways. But you want to get right on track with God today. today. And I'm going to go through the rest of the points. But I'm going to pause here. If that's you, pray this prayer with me. Say, Father, in Jesus' name, I confess my sin. I believe you raised Jesus from the dead. And I know full well that you've cleansed me right now from all unrighteousness. Thank you that your blood still makes me white as snow. I turn from my old life and I'm turning to you today. Fill me with your spirit so that where I'm weak, I would be made strong. And I'll live for you the rest of my days in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Number two, I'm righteous even as Christ is righteous. Number three, God's life flows through me. This is important. The Bible says, let me read it. 2 Peter chapter 1. If you prayed that prayer with me, welcome to the family of God. And if you meant it, God's going to do a work in you. Or he's going to regenerate your heart. Take out the heart of stone and put a heart of flesh in you. And you'll never be the same. That's what happened to me. I've never been the same since. The gospel is the only power at work that can change man's heart. All everything else is sinking sand. It don't work. Might give you a little success for a little while. The gospel gives everlasting success. Let me, let me, let me uh, read this. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 2. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of our Lord Jesus Christ. As His divine... Get this, get this in your spirit today. As His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us by glory and virtue. Verse 4. By which... By which... By which have given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, which is the word of God, that through these promises we may be made partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption of this world through lust. We have been made partakers. Point confession number three, declaration number three God's very life flows through me. I am a partaker of the nature of of God. The Bible says in Romans 11, we who were by nature a wild olive tree or wild olive branch have been grafted in to the vine and as such, we are partakers of the root and fatness of the tree, meaning the resources of the tree, the the, the value, the power, the life of that tree begins to overflow into our branch, which is us, and we begin to take on the nature of that tree. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The DNA of Christ flows through me. I am a new creature. I derive my strength from God's life. You know, when John 3.16 is quoted, people quote it back. Because they say God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believed on him should never, uh, should never perish but live forever. It's, that's actually a very poor translation of the word that's used in that specific case and, and throughout the whole New Testament when it's talking about eternal life or everlasting life. It's talking about Zoe which is the life of God, the life force, the essence, the nature of God, the very... Um, personhood of who God is, the very power of God. 
that was at work in creation, the very power of God, the, the eternality of God, the, the everlasting essence of God. So when the Bible says, God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, whosoever believe on Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. It's actually saying it sh you should have the Zoe. And remember, it's not saying, because if it really was for us to live forever, that we would never die, then it would, it would, um, it would be okay to say that we, should not, we would not perish, but that we would live forever, and that we would eventually have eternal life. But the Bible says, whosoever believeth on Him, is not one day going to have, whoever believes on him will, has, has, past tense. Once you believe, you begin to possess this Zoe, this everlasting life of God. So you should stop seeing yourself as just flesh and blood. You should quit seeing yourself as just, um, you know, a, a human agent, a human being. You should quit seeing yourself As a normal human being, you have the life of God. The spirit of life in Christ Jesus lives in you. And that same spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead lives in you. And he quickens your mortal body. So because of that life force in us, the God, kind, the God life in us. Remember the Bible says we've put off the old life. We've put off the old self. We've been renewed in the spirit of our mind. And then we've put on the new, the new self. We've put on the new nature, the nature in Ephesians 4 that is created like God, the very image of God. We've put on, we've, we've been clothed with Christ, the scripture says. And as such, we can do all things through that power working in us. As such, the Bible says we're able to see in our life that which is not uh, imaginable. Now unto him who's able to do far more beyond what we can ask or think according to that glorious life that is in you. So don't limit yourself as to what you're able to achieve for God. You have a limitless destiny, limitless potential because of that glorious power at work in you. So stop saying, I mean, you know, we're just weak, but he is strong. We were weak. Let the weak say, I am strong, not by our own strength, but because of him that dwells in me. Know ye not? Ye are the temple of the Holy Ghost. Listen to this. Look at this. 1 Samuel, chapter 5. And the Philistines, this is what God's life in a believer is to look like in a daily, in your daily walk. The Philistines took the ark of God and brought it from Ebenezer to Ashdod. The ark of God was the housing unit for God on the earth. That's where he dwelt. But it was never his desire to dwell in temples made with human hands or in artifacts. His desire was to dwell in you and in me. Now listen to this. When the Philistines took the ark of God, they brought it into the house of Dagon and set it by Dagon. And when the people of Ashdod arose early in the morning, so they took the ark of God in which was the, uh, the, the indwelling presence of God, the uh, everlasting life, the Zoe, the life of God, the nature of God, they set it by the nature of a demon. They set it by an, a false idol. They set it by a demon God that they worshiped. So they set it by uh, darkness, demon powers. And look what happened. When the people of Ashdod arose early in the morning, there was Dagon. Not there was the Ark of the Covenant fallen over. There was Dagon falling on its face to the earth before the Ark of the Lord. So they took Dagon and set it in its place again. 
And when they arose early the next morning, there was Dagon again falling on its face to the ground before the ark of the Lord. The head of Dagon and both the palms of its hands were broken off. Only on the threshold, only Dagon's torso was left of it. So they set what represented darkness next to what represented or what was really God's power on the earth. And what happened? The next morning they rose up early, they go and see, and the, the idol is fallen flat on its face and its head breaks off and its hands break off the next day. What does that show you? The power of God resident in the believer is more than enough to decapitate any devil and destroy. What does the head represent? Authority. God's power gives you authority over the authority Satan thinks he has. Because remember, Jesus said, all power and all authority has been given unto me. That leaves the devil with no power and no authority. When you begin to walk in that reality and that power begins to flow through you, you'll begin to cut the authority of devils off people's lives. And then what happened? The hands broke off, which represents what? Power. The right hand is always symbolized as power. The power of God in you, just like it did when Moses took that rod and threw it on the ground. And the rod turned into a serpent. And then the rods of Egypt turned into serpents. But the rod of Moses swallowed up the rods of Egypt. That's a symbol of the power of God. The life of God resident in a believer. Everywhere you go, you are the principality. Everywhere you go, you're in charge. You become the commander in chief. The devil doesn't get to decide what happens for me. The devil doesn't get to determine my future. The devil doesn't get to decide my, my, my day or order my day. I'm a man of God. God dwells in me. He's not pushing me around. I'm pushing him around. Orders don't come from the bottom of an organization up. Orders in any organization, a command is issued from the top to the bottom. That power in you enables you to, with authority and confidence, issue out commands to deal with any type of, of darkness that would try to hinder you, or try to mess with your children. When you start to walk in this reality, your eyes are going to look different. You're not going to walk around like the third guy from the left on the evolution chart with your back hunched over. You'll have a fire in your eye. Devils will know to back off the path you're on. Devils will know to clear off your way. Because you're not just a Christian, a regular status quo Christian that loves to sing about God, but that's about it. No, you're one who understands. You're one who understands the power of the name. You're one who understands that... I am a temple of the Holy Ghost. I've been given power from on high to trample on serpents and scorpions. You're one that understands that the anointing in you, greater is he that lives in you than he that is in the world. And just like Paul, when those seven sons of Sceva looked to the, uh, when those seven uh, sons of Sceva were trying to exercise that demon, and the demon looked back and said, Jesus I know, Paul I know. Why did they know Jesus? Because he, he put devils on the run everywhere he went. Why did they know Paul? Because Paul did this, he continued the ministry of Jesus in deliverance. I pray in the name of Jesus as this revelation comes in your eyes, in your spirit right now, that the eyes of your understanding would be enlightened to see the surpassing greatness of God's power in you and through you, that your name's going to be added to that list. The devils will say, Jesus we knew, and no, Paul we knew, and no, and they're going to add that your name to that list in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. You're not going to be a mockery in hell. You're going to be a force to be reckoned with, a force to be feared, and the devil's going to put out a, 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 an issue on your name and on your house and on your residence don't touch that one they're not blowing smoke 
God's life flows through me. Number four, I'm abundantly supplied. I am abundantly supplied. There's too many Christians that talk and love to talk poverty. And they expect God's blessing to kick into their finances. Stop talking about how much you need. Stop talking about how poor you are. Stop talking about how, how, how hard things are economically. Start to, to, to confess that my, all my needs according to his riches and glory shall be supplied because God is faithful to his covenant. If you're a giver, if you're faithful in the area of your tithes and offerings, stop negating the seeds that you're sowing financially by the seeds you're sowing vocally. People take prosperity actions and sow poverty words and then are frustrated afterwards when they don't see the reward on their seeds. The, the seed you sow financially is just as important as the seed you sow with your mouth. That's why the Bible says, David said, I, the Lord is my shepherd, I will not lack. He didn't say the Lord is my shepherd, I don't lack. He said the Lord is my shepherd, I will not lack. I'm not going to have lack. Because if he's able to multiply the five breads and two fish and create an abundance so there's 12 baskets left over. Remember, God's not El Chipo. God is El Shaddai. God is not the God of just enough. He's the God of more than enough. He is an abundant God. He's an excessive God. If, how do we know that? He could have just made and multiplied the bread so that everyone had just enough to get them home on their journey. But he went above and beyond. He told Abraham, if you walk before me and be blameless, I'll multiply you. I'll increase you. I'll strengthen you. I'll bless you. I'll bless you. Deuteronomy 28. I'll bless your fields with plenty. I'll bless your cattle. We don't, most of us, we're not farmers. We don't have cattle and fields. But he's talking about finances. That's why Abraham in Genesis 12 encounters God. By Genesis 13, verse 2, Abraham's very rich in livestock, silver, and gold. So you, you have to start talking. Paul said in Philippians 3, I was never in need. I was never in need. He didn't talk need. Someone, some, you know, and this is where you, you see the people drop off the broadcast because, you know, the moment you start talking about money, they automatically loop you in with like, oh, he's a prosperity preacher. God's a prosperity God. I'm just, I'm not saying anything. I'm not saying the purpose of you Serving God is so you can be made rich. But part of his covenant, Deuteronomy 8.18, is I am the Lord your God, and I will give you power to make wealth so that I might establish my covenant with you. Do you think God is pleased? Reinhard Bonnke, who led 79 million people to the Lord, said this. He said, I've seen sickness and I've seen poverty, and I say that poverty is worse, the worst of the two because poverty actually brings in sickness. How do we see that? Well, you look in some impoverished nations when they can't have clean water, they end up drinking dirty water and as a result, it screws up their whole system. So if you have all your needs, man, you, you know, most people that drop off when I talk like this are the ones that, you know, they, they don't have any needs. They're doing okay financially. You know, they, they, they have a nice car, they have a nice home, they have, you know that's that's your that's your uh, that's your prerogative. You you can label me as whatever you want to label me. But for you that are watching right now, and you're believing God for ends, you're believing God for your rent to be made. You're believing God for provision. You're believing God for for money to come in, or else you ain't gonna make it. You're just drowning in debt. 
I pray that the same God that delivered that widow in 2 Kings 4, when she began to pour out the jar of oil, it began to multiply and it kept on flowing and it kept on flowing. I pray as you're faithful in the area of finances, God will do a miracle financially for you that you'll be able to... You'll be able to live off that one miracle for the rest of your life in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. The bin of flour will not be used up. The jar of oil will never run dry. Your hands will never lack in Jesus' name. But it begins with by declaring, I'm abundantly supplied. I'm prosperous. He has, pros he has pleasure in the prosperity of his servants. Psalm 35, 27. It's funny how Christians have displeasure in the prosperity of servants. But God said, I have pleasure in the prosperity of my servants. I'd rather know what God's pleased by than what religiously brainwashed people who like people staying poor. I, can't, I don't understand why people would be angry with, the ability of God, uh, with, the, uh, with God's ability to provide so that we don't have to be freaking tied in to welfare. You have, you have people that are in welfare and in bondage financially, going into a church where they're told they should stay poor because it's pious. It's religious to stay poor. It pleases God. Bull. It doesn't please God. It irritates God. God said, I want to make you a blessing so you can bless others. How are you going to give the shirt off your back when you don't even have a shirt that covers your own back? How are you going to feed others when you have no, you can't even feed yourself? We're not called to be needy people. We're called to meet needs everywhere we go. And you're going to take, you're going to take that position today in Jesus' mighty name. Number five, I'm anointed. Psalm 23, he anoints my head with oil. My cup runs over. I don't care what I feel like. I don't care what I wake up like and look in the mirror and look like. Hair all messed up, bags under my eyes. I is anointed because I have an anointing from the Holy One. I don't need to feel anointed to know I'm anointed. God's word already said I'm anointed. John G. Lake, before he'd go up to preach, he would look at himself in a mirror and he'd be in a nice suit and he'd say, God lives in that man. I'm anointed to heal the sick. I'm anointed to raise the dead. I'm anointed to cast out devils. No matter how he felt. And why do you think in his services, he, he raised the dead, he cast out devils, and he, um, he healed the sick. Because he walked. If you, if you have this like inferiority complex, this timidity and shyness, the anointing brings boldness. Whenever you send shyness in you, whenever you walk around like you're uh, unsure, you're unsure of, of, of yourself, you're unsure of God's power in you, you're, uns you're never going to be a, uh, you're never going to, you're never going to resist the devil and see him flee from you. What does the Bible say to re resist the devil? How do you resist the devil? That anytime he comes rushing in like a flood, I'm anointed to deal with the situation of hand. And when you start to talk like that, look at 2 Kings 1. Elijah has a whole army come and try and arrest him. And they were going to put him to death. Elijah stands up and says, if I be a man of God. Really what he was saying is, if I be anointed, who do you think you're messing with, devil? I'm not just a regular Joe Schmo. I'm not like all the other guys you victimized. I'm not like all the other guys that have been prey for you to eat. I am anointed. And if I be a man of God, fire will come down from heaven. And what happened? It consumed, their, their, it consumed their, uh, his enemies. I'm anointed. What does anointed mean? It means I've rubbed off heaven and heaven's rubbed on me. 
I diffuse the aroma of God everywhere I go. I smell like God by the anointing. I have the scent of God. When I come into a room, devils smell God because they smell me. And God, I, I have the scent. I've, I've sprayed myself with the perfume of God. And that aroma is distasteful to darkness. It has to leave. It can't stand the efficacy, the strength of the anointing of God. Jesus went about doing good, healing all, because God, was, God had anointed him. The anointing doesn't give you power to cope with the devil's mess. The anointing gives you the power to break free and break others free from satanic bondage. Luke 9, Jesus told his, Luke 10, 17, Jesus told his, his disciples, I am giving you power over unclean spirits and to heal every kind of sickness and disease. So if you think, well, I'm not a preacher, so I can't be anointed. Jesus said when they came back after healing people, after casting out devils, they were greatly rejoicing. And he said, even demons are subject to us in your name. Jesus didn't say, yeah, it's because you're especially anointed. No, he said, don't rejoice that demons are subject to you. Rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. The very fact that your name is written in heaven shows that you're anointed. If your name is in the Lamb's book of life, you're anointed. And if you're anointed, demons flee at your presence. Strongholds fall at your presence. Sickness leaves through the laying on of your hands. Pillars of darkness are shaking and crumble when you arrive on the scene. Because when you arrive on the scene, God arrives on the scene because you're anointed of heaven. And the same way they came before Jesus, that man that was possessed of 2,000 demons and said, what have we to do together, son of the most high God? The anointing served as a tormenting force when Jesus dealt with devils. They couldn't tolerate it anymore. He preached in the synagogue. Ah, what have we to do together, son of the most high God? Please, go away. Jesus said, shut up and come out. The anointing will enable you to deal with things in one minute. What others try and push away over a lifetime. Remember, life is spiritual. Problems are spiritual. You're going to need the anointing to deal with it. The devil doesn't have respect for natural means and methods. The devil doesn't have respect for medication. Some people are bound by a spirit of infirmity, of sickness. And the anointing is what enables you to break that off people's life. And Rebecca, you don't just have to want that. You have that. And you have to turn it loose by stepping out to do, to, to do what God's called you to do. So I want you to say this and type this, type this out actually in the comment section. I'm anointed with fresh oil. I'm anointed with fresh oil. David said in Psalm 92, I've been anointed with fresh oil. And my strength has been exalted like that of a wild ox. And I, he makes me now. That anointing will make you to flourish like a palm tree. That anointing will make you to grow strong like the cedars of Lebanon. That anointing will cause you even an old age. Hallelujah. What do you think God Joshua? Remember I talked about confession. And we're talking about confession and what you should speak over yourself. And I'm trying to go over these seven declarations and go in depth as to, you know, build up an understanding as to why we should confess these things. Because empty confession isn't going to do you any good. You have to have an understanding of the word built up in your heart so that you're confessing, you're saying 
What you know God has said in his word. Just saying it's not going to do anything. Vain confession, empty confession, it leads only to poverty. It's confession backed by an understanding of the word of God that produces wonderful results. That's why I'm taking time to go through um, these seven declarations and why we should be declaring them. Remember Joshua and Caleb, the one who had another spirit. At 85 years old, Caleb stands up and he says, I'm just as strong today as I was when I was 40. What got him to confess that? Because he, he, had a, he knew he was anointed. He knew he was anointed. David, in facing Goliath, you come to me with sticks and stones, you uncircumcised Philistine. I'm coming by the Spirit of God and by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. He had killed the, the bear. He had killed the lion because the spirit of might had come on him. The anointing is the hand of God that comes on you to do what is impossible to do in, the norm, in, 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 uh, in, your, in, in hum, human capability. So I'm anointed. Number six, this is important. If you have children or if you plan on having children, get this in you straight right now. Before you go through five years and then wondering, man, I wish I had done things differently. My children are blessed. Declaration, declaration number six. My children are blessed. My children aren't cursed. My boy ain't cursed. My boy's not dumb. Stop speaking death and destruction over your own child and expecting, expecting him to develop normally afterwards. Oh, this guy's, you know. There are some parents, the way they speak about their kids, it's a wonder if they even love them. And then there's people who genuinely love their kids, but because they're overly concerned and place no, no, uh, no confidence in God's ability to keep and grow their child, they think they're in charge of it. They're in the name of concern, speaking all kinds of things over their kids, like, you know, don't go run out in the street. You'll get hit by a car. Why go to the extreme? You'll get hit by a car. Why not say, don't go run out in the street? It's not wise. Stay, stay where there's no cars. Stay. Instead, you're going to get hit by a car if you do that. Why would you release that word of death over your own kid? If you, know, if you don't bundle up, you're going to get sick. What? Be careful. You in your own self are magnetizing sickness to your own child without knowing it instead say bundle you're up it's good for you whatever there's other ways to say what you want to say the bible says in psalm 112 how blessed is the man who fears god's commandments he will be blessed on the earth his generation will be blessed on the earth and the descendants of the upright will be mighty Don't speak, you know, my kid's not the brightest kid. My child has the wisdom of God flowing through him. My child has what Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had. A gift for knowledge. A gift to understand. They're of quick understanding. My boy, I pray, I do this all the time. I speak it over his life. He's going to have a, a supernatural quickening in his brain. He'll be wise beyond his years. He'll be able to understand, receive information beyond, beyond his age. He'll, he'll be able to apprehend and retain information. He'll not only have that, 
He'll have a spiritual sensitivity to the things of God at a young age. Stop saying, my child doesn't want to serve God. My kid's so hard, he never wants anything to do with church. Yeah, keep on saying it. He'll never want anything to do with church. Instead, start to declare, my child's sensitivity to the things of God is enhancing day by day. My child doesn't belong to the devil. My child belongs to God and like Jesus. At 12 years of age, he was in the middle of the temple, hearing, listening, and answering questions. He had a spiritual hunger at 12 years old that no other child his age had. And I, pray, I speak that over my child. At 12 years of age, my child will have a spiritual appetite unlike any other child. He'll be far beyond his contemporaries. He'll, be, he'll have a hatred for lawlessness and a love for righteousness that'll cause him to have the oil of the Holy Ghost on his life, above all his fellows, above everyone in his generation. My God's gonna be my child's gonna be specially used by God. My child will be strong because he'll have and he'll do exploits. Stop speaking. You know, if you do that, you'll never do anything in life. If you learn how to bless your kids by faith, Jacob blessed the children of Israel. By faith, speak blessing over your children. Child, you are a blessed child of the Most High God. You will lead many unto righteousness. You'll be used by God mightily to do things in your generation that have never been done. You'll have the best job. And if, if your child's called into the ministry, you'll be, you'll be an effective minister of the Lord Jesus Christ. You'll be especially anointed. You'll have, you'll have unusual spiritual gifts working through your life. And you have the temptation sometime when your child does something stupid. Just because he does something stupid doesn't mean he's stupid. Just because he does something that is dumb doesn't mean he's dumb. Just because he does something that's not pleasing. Stop saying you're a bad kid. You're a bad child. Instead, you're blessed. You may have done a bad thing, but you're a good boy. You may have done a bad deed, but you're a good child. You may have acted inappropriately, but you're not inappropriate. You have God's hand on your life. You're destined for the top. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he'll not depart from it. That doesn't just mean bring them to church. Speak life over your kids. Speak blessing. Speak goodness and mercy and favor. Thank you, Lord, that a shield called faith encompasses my child. Everywhere he goes, every fiery dart of the wicked will fail to produce what it desires to produce in my child. My child has a hedge of protection around him, an impenetrable, impenetrable wall that no devil that desires to touch him. When he goes to school, if your children are in public school, learn to pray in the Holy Ghost daily over them. Thank you, Lord, that they're protected. Thank you, Lord, that demonic doctrines that are being pumped into my children, they're not going to take root. That what my child learns at home and in church, those are the things that are going to flourish in their, in their life. In Jesus' name. Psalm 71, listen to this. Uh, Psalm 78. Thank you, Anthony. And I saw a few other people give on YouTube. Thank you so much. People giving without even asking. Mickey, God bless you. I pray the Lord blesses and multiplies it a hundredfold. Psalm 78. 
Verse 1, give ear, O my people, to the law. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. Skip to verse 4. We will not hide your word, your statutes, your testimonies from our, from our children. Well, I don't know. I brought my kid to church, you know, every Sunday, and now they don't want anything to do with God. How was the house environment? You set up the environment of your home by the words that you speak. Words are spiritual. You have to get that today. Words are not just uh, audible. They're not just some, uh, you know, wavelengths of audio, of, of audio transmitted into the air, the, 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 uh, the environment. No, they're spiritual. The words you sow set up the atmosphere of your home. So set up a guard over your mouth. Let the words of your mouth and the, guard, the heart, uh, meditation of your heart be pleasing in God's, in God's sight. Set up a, an environment where your children aren't growing up with just natural pessimists because they only learned how to see the ill and the negativity in every situation. Thank you, Christine. God bless you. Instead, you can set up an environment where your children are like Joshua and Caleb. That no matter how great of a challenge that awaits them or is in front of them, they're always speaking the report of the Lord. Who has believed our report? To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed to? Constantly speaking what God has said. Because they've been trained to do that. You train a, a, up a child. Not by bringing him to church every Sunday. That's a part of it. But more so. People think they're spiritual because they lift their hand in church. You want to know who's a real spiritual person? Someone who brings God home after they left church. Some people go to church... They have a little entertainment. God entertains them for an hour on Sunday morning. And then they leave him at church for next, like he's a movie. Like he's a cinema, a theater. You can go in, watch the movie, and then leave and forget all about it. Spiritual people are those who catch the anointing at church and then bring it home and make, take a, intentional steps to set up that same anointing at home. Telling to the generation to come the praises of the Lord. Daisy Chavez wrote on you, how do we give? You can give, I think on YouTube, there's like a, a way to give just on YouTube. I, I don't know how to do it, but others have been able to do it. And if not, you can go on my website, salvationnow.ca slash give, which I'll put up the link right there. Thank you in advance. I appreciate it, Daisy. God bless you. Um... Telling to the generation to come the praises of the Lord, His strength and His wonderful works which He has done. So you can see, David's saying, you have to tell the next generation His works. Remind, remind your children of what God's brought you out of in the past. Remind your children of the, you know, tell them about your testimonies of your youth. Don't keep it from them so they never know. They don't even understand why you serve God. Tell them, this is why we go to church. Why do we go to church? Because it's the right thing to do. No. Why is it the right thing to do? What did God do for you that put a love in your heart that you're so attracted that you're glad when you say, let us go to the house of the Lord? Number seven. So number six is my children are blessed. Confession number six. Number seven, and I finish with this. I am blessed. The Bible says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. It's not enough just to believe you're redeemed. Start to talk Redemption. I'm blessed. 
Christ has redeemed me from the curse of the law. The curse of sin no longer has any hold on me. Whom the Son sets free is free indeed. I am blessed. The blessing of, of Abraham flows through me. Everything I touch is blessed. Everywhere I go, I'm blessed. I'm blessed from above. And as such, no man can curse. Stop being curse-minded. Stop carrying a curse mentality. Well, I think this is a generational curse. Maybe you carried a generational curse. They're very real. But when you got saved, you broke free. You don't need anything else. There's no added thing you have to uh, mix in with salvation to break free from a, a generational curse. People think that like salvation wasn't enough. When you understand the blood of Jesus, that we've left the land of curses. We've come to Mount Zion, the city that has been blessed by God. I'm uncursable. Whom God has blessed, no man can curse. They hired Balaam to curse Israel when Israel wasn't doing anything deserving of a curse. And Balaam said, all that the Lord has told me, I must confess, I must speak. And they hired him to curse Israel. Balaam said, how can I denounce whom the Lord has not denounced? How can I curse whom God has not cursed? Behold, God has cursed them and no man can curse. Uh, God has blessed them and no man can curse them. Galatians 3.13, Christ has redeemed me. Redemption in of itself is more than enough power to break off generational curses. Quit being generational curse-minded. Start to understand that now because of Jesus, and by this word, you carry a generational blessing. You are blessed. Your children will be blessed and serve the Lord. Your grandchildren. The Bible says that um, a man's child Proverbs, let me, let me read this. Proverbs chapter 5. Listen to what the Bible says about generational blessing. A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. The wealth of the wicked is stored up for the righteous. A good man, a righteous man. Thank you, AC, on YouTube. Darren, God bless you. God bless you both. A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. Thank you, Daisy. God bless you. I pray that everyone that's giving, and you'll have an opportunity to give after this, I pray that everyone that gives today, your hands will never run dry in Jesus' name. That the God of overflow would give back, press down, shaken together, and falling over into your lap in Jesus' mighty name. So that you, not only your needs will be met, but you'll have an abundance unto every good work, according to the word of God, in Jesus' name. A good man, not only will he be blessed, he'll leave an inheritance to his children and his children's children. People are so confident in the devil's ability to mess one life up, and then through that, their children are messed up. You know, they grew up in a, you know, I understand why they're like that. They grew up in a, in a crack house. Their parents were crack addicts, and, you know, it's really messed them up. And then, you know, now they're having children, so it's probably going to flow. So you have belief, and you have confidence in the devil's ability to have his work transcend generations, but why can't we believe God that the work of salvation in you is going to transcend generations? Deuteronomy 30. The Bible says, 
I have set before you life and death, blessings and cursings. Oh, that you would choose life. Not that just you would live, that both you and your descendants would live and feast on the goodness of God, on the blessing of God. Remember, the Bible says, Deuteronomy chapter 28, all these blessings will overtake you. They'll hunt you down. I'm not going out looking to be blessed. I consecrate my, God, my life to God. And as such, goodness and mercy follow me. I don't chase it. They follow me. I don't chase signs and wonders. They follow me. I don't chase the blessing of the Lord. It makes me rich and has no sorrow to it because I've plugged in by covenant. And also by the words I speak. Stop saying, you know, I, 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 I could never do that. No, by the blessing of God, you can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. Stop saying things like, you know, I... I just feel weak. By the blessing of God, let the weak say I am strong. You're not weak. You might feel weak, but as you confess, as you confess strength in your life, in, 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 into your body, you know you can actually, you can speak strength into your body. Smith Wigglesworth, someone came up to him and said, hey, uh, how, how is it that you always, you know, you always look happy? What's your secret? And he said, I don't ask myself how I feel. I don't ask myself how, I, how I'm doing. I tell myself how to feel and I tell myself how I'm doing by the word of God. I want you to write that out as a declaration of faith. Write this out. Say, I am blessed. I am blessed. And I'm blessed to be a blessing. And you see, when you start to change your confession in these seven declarations, you're going to see things happen naturally. Does a farmer have to do anything else other than to sow a seed and water it? And then the rain comes, waters it. Uh, the condensation from the rain does all the rest of the work. The seed, the earth, produce in of itself the earth. The Bible says a man sows a seed. He goes to bed by night. He wakes up by day. The seed sprouts and grows. How? He himself does not know. He himself does not know. So in the same vein, you start talking like this, things start to happen and change, and you're, you're, you're just sitting back and just awestruck at God's faithfulness to His Word. Remember, He honors His Word above His name. But that Word in your heart is not going to do you any good. It has to come out, out of your mouth. The Bible says, and I'll finish with this, it was through faith. What's faith? Believing and speaking. Through faith that kingdoms were subdued. Through faith they quenched the violence of fire. Through faith things turned. They turned to flight the, the armies of aliens. Through faith. It was through their faith-filled confession that things started to shape for them. God honors His covenant. And when you begin to, and remember, if you're in sin, his covenant won't work for you. The Bible says, what right have you to take my covenant in your mouth since you, you lay my words behind you? But when, you're, when you live holy unto God, when you live, when you live holy unto God, the Bible says, you can declare us thou and be thou made justified. Declare that, declare us thou. The Bible says, Thou shalt declare and decree a thing, and it shall be established unto you. 
I pray right now in the name of Jesus that grace would come on you from today onward. Grace by the spirit of faith. That as you've seen these things in the word, that you'll have, you'll have a, a faith-filled declaration of these things. It won't be you trying to speak better. It will be a grace that will come over your mouth to speak, to speak better, to speak scriptural confession. And as you do, God will go to work to confirm the word you speak. Stay connected with us by visiting us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook by searching at TJ Malkanji. Or visit us online, www.salvationnow.ca. God bless you, and until next time.